Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23, which is found on page 1,498 in your pew Bible. The Escape to Egypt When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you can tell with the title, Jesus the Refugee, you know where I'm going to be going this morning with this text. Uh, so my theme this morning is going to be hospitality, being both guest and host, as we reflect on the times we're living in today. So thank you, uh, Len, for praying for uh, David and Emily. My daughter Emily married David Vanderwint on Friday, and I was one of the officiants, so that was a great, great blessing. We're very thankful, and I just saw Emily and David off at the airport this morning, and they're heading back to BC where they live, so we're praying also then for a good, good travel and a good flight. Uh, so this is our third child who got married now. Our daughter, Frida, got married last spring in the Crow's Nest Pass, and uh, thinking back to that time when uh, Frida got married, uh, after the wedding, you know how it is with weddings, you want to just rest a little bit and de-stress. And so my wife and I decided to take a drive west from the Crow's Nest Pass. Uh, we drove up Highway 93 up to Radium Hot Springs. So if you've ever been in that area, there's some beautiful places where you can just soak in the warm water and relax. And that's what we did. After we were done, we continued driving towards Banff, and we stopped at this beautiful scenic 
overlook over the Kootenai River. And as we were um, standing there looking at this beautiful view, we noticed there was a family over here who had also stopped and were looking. There was a couple with two children. And uh, the, one of the kids comes over, the little girl, and she holds out a piece of watermelon to us. And after soaking in a hot tub for a while and not really having anything to drink, we are actually quite thirsty. But my first feeling was, it's okay, right? Isn't that normal for us? It's like, no, thank you, that's really kind of you, but it's okay. However, we were so thirsty, we actually then said, wait a minute, okay, let's have some watermelon. So uh, I took some, and my wife Nellie took some, and we were munching away on the watermelon, and they were munching away on their watermelon. And uh, after a while, um, I took my rind. It was so tempting, right, because there was this big drop-off. So I threw my rind down, and uh, then their kids started throwing their watermelon rinds down. We were having some fun, but then we noticed there were some people scowling at us. It was a national park, I guess, some, maybe an environmental thing going on there. So then we stopped, and then I felt bad because the mother was kind of telling her kids, don't do it, don't do it. Um, anyways, but um, then, of course, uh, she says to us, uh, oh, uh, would you like some? Oh, no, I said to her, thank you for the watermelon. We were so thirsty after being at the hot springs. And she said, oh, no problem, come here. And she, they opened up the back of their SUV, and there was a big cooler filled with water bottles, and then they're giving us water. So generous, Right. So we started, started talking to this couple a little bit more, asking what is their background and stuff. They're living in Calgary. They're originally from Pakistan, and they had settled in Calgary, and they were very, very hospitable. And we were so impressed, and we were so thankful that we accepted their hospitality because we don't always, right? Raised in North America to be individuals and strong and independent. Well, in our text this morning, we see that Jesus, Joseph, and Mary also needed hospitality, right, in their flight to Egypt. And in fact, if you go to Egypt and visit, you'll find that Egyptian Christians, both Coptic and Protestant, are very proud of the fact that Jesus was a refugee in Egypt and that they hosted him. Uh, we, we, uh, I was part of a CRC delegation a number of years ago, and uh, as we traveled around, we saw many references to this fact that Jesus had come to Egypt and had been in Egypt for a time before he went out, like the Israelites, out of Egypt and back into Israel. So refugees is an age-old problem and challenge and opportunity. And it certainly is today. About 260 million people in the world today who have been dispossessed of their home and are on the move in some way or another. And many of those are coming to Canada. So I just want to take just a minute to look at a few slides. So if we could do the slides right now, and hopefully you can see. Uh, sorry, I don't have data for Hamilton, but I have some GTA data. And you can see here all the different countries of people that are settling in the GTA. And each dot is two people. Now this particular, this is from Outreach Canada, with a particular focus on Muslim people groups. But um, if you can, uh, you were going to go through one really quickly. We're going to th go through each people group. Uh, so here's Pakistan in Iran. Iran is the light blue, and um, Pakistan, I think that's purple. I have trouble with these things because I am colorblind, but I can kind of make it out, so we'll keep on going. You can see how the, the Iranians... Yeah, it's okay, go to the next one. The Iranians are all right up through, what is that, North York and Markham, up into Richmond Hill, and very concentrated, right? So in terms of 
thinking about this population and how we can minister to them, we have some ideas where to focus on. And then we can go to the next one, which is people from Bangladesh. Scarborough would be a really good place to live if you're interested in, in uh, doing ministry with people from Bangladesh. And we can go on to the next one, which is Iraqis, kind of much spread sort of throughout the GTA. Maybe a bit of a concentration there in Mississauga. All right, on we go to Somalis. Uh, Somalis a little bit spread out, some in Scarborough, but a lot in that Finch and Dixon area. Um, I have a friend, Steve Frieswick, who's been working for more than 10 years with Somalis in that area. And then Syrians, I think this is interesting because that's a newer group, right, that's come to Canada. And you can see they've also sort of spread sort of east and west there. There's sort of quite a few there in Mississauga too. So I think that's all we have. Is there any more? Nope, that's it. So just, I just wanted to illustrate a little bit how people are coming to Canada, especially the GTA. It's a multicultural city. We have many opportunities. Yes, there are challenges, but we have so many opportunities for ministry. And so that is something that I focus on strongly with my work with Resonate Global Mission. And one thing I know in the CRC is that we have a strong tradition of hospitality in our church, don't we? I mean, it's in our DNA as a people of God. And I think that is because we have a generous God, right? We follow a God who is very hospitable, who is a God of hospitality. And I think we see that in very much in God's nature. So I want to begin by looking at God and how from God's nature comes our responsibility to be hospitable. So we believe in a Trinitarian God who is hospitable, who wants us to reach out, who wants us to help. Even though our tendency, as we had with that little girl from Pakistan on the side of the mountain, was very much, it's okay, it's okay, I'm okay. But actually, if we look at God and the beauty of the Trinity is that God isn't like that. God, as a Trinity, is very interactive. The persons of the Trinity are always involved in what each one does. They are not independent of each other. Uh, the theological term, if you're a theologian, is perichoresis that they work together, that they never work alone. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are always intrinsically involved in what they're doing, and they are both host and guest for each other. So the, think about that. The members of the Trinity are always eternally hosting each other and being guests of each other. So hospitality is in the very Godhead, the God who we believe in and who we worship. And so when we practice hospitality, we are very much... Let me just move this... We are very much imaging God. We are very much doing what God wants us to do. And we see in this passage, even Jesus is both host and guest. And that's why I find it so interesting. And yet, we struggle, don't we? We struggle against this desire to be hospitable. And I think we also see that in this passage. Because in this passage, we see the problem of scarcity and abundance, right? Herod is afraid of losing what he has when he hears about this new king. So he's working on this idea that there's only so much and that he has to protect what he has. And the reality is that Herod is all of us, isn't he? We, we all have those tendencies to be like Herod, to want to protect what we have, to maintain the status quo. And yet Jesus calls us to move out of that kind of thinking, right? To think more about abundance, about being generous, about sharing. And the Holy Spirit helps us with that. We also see in this passage the Magi, who were astrologers, seeking a message from the stars and following the star and searching for the king. And we know that in this time, 
magi or astrologers were despised, right? They weren't the people of the covenant God. They were people who looked to stars for information. Yet Matthew includes them. Despised astrologers are included in this story because already we see that idea that all are welcome into God's kingdom, that even despised astrologers have a place to come into God's kingdom. And it also notes, of course, that God works sovereignly through the times, through people, through places, even through stars, to bring his purposes to fruition. One of my favorite commentaries is by a fellow named Bruner, and he says, the magi represent the openness of outsiders and the closeness of insiders. Maybe I'll repeat that. The openness of outsiders and the closeness of insiders to the gospel message. And so it's kind of a wake-up call for all of us, isn't it? And in the Christ child, we see truly Jesus' humanity. First, Jesus is worshipped as king, as Lord, as God, Right? by the Magi, and then Jesus, in his very humanness, is fleeing and vulnerable and going to Egypt to escape death at the hands of Herod. And so we really see both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus in this passage. And Jesus, of course, is the new Israel, right, going into Egypt and then coming back out again. And so all of us, all of us can identify with Jesus because we are sinful and frail, right? We need a Savior, because we are vulnerable. We can be afraid sometimes. We can struggle with being open. And actually, it's not only us, but it's systems, right? Systems in our world today are broken. We see civil conflict. It's the civil conflict that's sending people to become refugees and migrants and what, what, what's called the diaspora of peoples as they're spreading around the world, many coming to Canada. And so we see in this humanity the struggle of people, people on the move, people without a home, people uh, needing to be welcomed. In that flight to Egypt, there's danger, there's struggle. We experience the tension. We see the slaughter of all these innocent people, and we wonder, how can it happen? And so we know that there is danger, there is risk. And so the reality is, despite the fact that God is calling us into hospitality and to be hospitable, that there are risks. And so I don't want to just gloss over this and say that there aren't. So let's think about that as our second point this morning, the risk of hospitality. Now, hospitality has always been a risky venture. If you look back into ancient times, the primary definition of hospitality was to welcome the stranger. But automatically, that means you're welcoming somebody you don't know, right? You don't know if they're a safe person. It's not a friend. It's a stranger. The ancient Greeks believed in something called theoxenia. Theoxenia, theoxenia, is the possibility of meeting God in the stranger, or the gods in their uh, pantheon, the gods in the stranger. And in Roman culture, Cicero and Ovid both mention hospitality as a divine responsibility. So hospitality is something that's very ancient. And in fact, in our own tradition, in Genesis chapter 18, we see Abraham welcoming the three visitors, right? In true Hebrew hospitality. And somebody recently in a Bible study, we were looking at this passage, and they said, you know, when someone comes to your door, and then you go and kill the goat and bake the bread, that's not a short visit. That's a long visit, isn't it? You've got a lot of time to interact and to visit. It's not a 
quick trip to Tim Hortons. <laughs> I mean, they're really going all out to welcome these visitors. And yet, again, there's danger. In the Middle East and in that environment, you never knew if the person coming to you was going to rob you or was going to welcome your hospitality. You never knew. And I think we struggle with that to this day. I think some of our struggles today is that we struggle with that fear, right? Not knowing the other person from a different culture and maybe a different religion. Uh, recently, I was uh, at, a, at a gathering, and there was a pastor of the Chinese Alliance Church in Toronto. Now, if you remember from the map, Scarborough has a lot of people from Bangladesh and South Asia, and that's where his church is is situated. Um, and so they really have a ministry there to the population of South Asia and I guess uh, other areas because his particular family that he was assigned was from Afghanistan. And he shared that before uh, he was invited to go there for dinner, and he was really praying before he went because he'd heard on the news a lot about the Afghan conflict and how dangerous it is in Afghanistan. And he was praying. He shared this with us. He said, Lord, if I'm going to this family for supper, my life is in your hands. If I die, I die. This was, he was praying this in Scarborough. Anyways, he said he went to this Afghan family, and there when he got in the door was the food all was spread out on the floor as they normally do in an Afghan family. The food was all spread out. And he sat down, he had a wonderful meal. He said the only danger he was in was possibly the danger of overeating. But isn't it normal to have these kinds of fears? You know, we're all like that really, aren't we? Because there is always risk. And I think sometimes when we talk about being both guest and host, it's often easier for us to be hosts because it's more familiar. What's really challenging, as in the case of this pastor, is to be a guest. Because you're going into something that you don't really know well. It's unfamiliar territory, especially when there's other customs and cultural things going on. We lose control. And yet I think in this passage, really, Jesus being both host and guest shows us that we are called to be both, to sometimes go out of our comfort zone and be a guest. Uh, I've always been blessed. Part of my ministry with Resonate and Salaam has been to go into other places of worship. And for example, I've been in the mountain mosque up here um, on the mountain and uh, been very blessed by the people there when I've gone to visit. And in fact, just as an example of that, one time I was in the mosque, and you know when you go in a mosque, you have to take your shoes off and you put them by the door because Muslims believe that that is like sacred area. And so I took my shoes off and then I thought, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And then I'm wearing my stocking feet, I thought. And you know, Muslims do their ablutions, right, before they pray. So that usually happens in that same area. So it can be kind of wet. And I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I'm in my stockings. And just as I was thinking this and wondering what to do, a man came running up to me with a pair of slippers, put them down so I could put my feet in them and go to the bathroom. And I just thought, wow, what hospitality, right? So wonderful. And so we are called, I really believe, to be both hosts and guests. You know, the church father Augustine said, Acknowledge the duty of hospitality, for by this some have attained unto God. And so our third point, what I want to end on this morning, is the fact that we are called not only to be hospitable, but to be hospitable to the stranger, to the person we don't know. Um, of course, we're called to be hospitable to the friend, to the missionary, to those serving God in the church, 
But this challenge and what we're being called to, particularly in our time today, is to be hospitable to the stranger. That is the challenge and the opportunity. You know, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. And if you remember that, the first invitees have refused, right? They don't want to come. So the master tells the servant, go out into the streets and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and welcome them into the banquet. And although we know that Jesus is in one sense speaking of his Jewish compatriots and their refusal to hear the gospel and believe in the kingdom, we also know that he's talking about something about the nature of the kingdom, isn't he? That all are welcome, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Let them come and host them. And then in Romans chapter 12, Paul also talks about living out the love of Jesus practically, and he talks about hospitality. And in the NIV, if you read that, Romans chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, in the NIV, you'll see that it uses the word practice. But if you look at some other translations, it uses the word pursue. And that's actually a better translation because Paul does a bit of a wordplay there. He talks about pursuing hospitality, and then later on, he talks about praying for those who persecute you, and he uses the same word in the Greek. And I think he uses the same word, first of all, because, so if, I guess if somebody pursues you relentlessly, that becomes persecution. So that's why it's the same word. But he's also saying something about pursuing hospitality means that you pursue it to the point where you're also providing hospitality for people you're not sure about, for the stranger, for maybe even the enemy. So I think Paul is making an important, important point there by using that particular word. And so that means really opening ourselves up to people of other cultures, people of other religions. And again, I've been very blessed in my journeys around Hamilton in this ministry. Um, And sometimes it has been challenging. For example, about two years ago, I was involved with something called um, uh, Hamilton Challenge. We ran that out of Philpot Church, so not far from here. And uh, we visited a Hindu temple. Now, if you've ever gone in a Hindu temple, it is a freaky experience for a Christian. Because, of course, we have many teachings from the Old Testament about the worship of idols and that kind of thing and how bad that is. And there are idols there that they, um, that they are actually giving food to because they believe they're living beings. And, in fact, if you remember um, a number of years ago, just after 9-11, I think, that the Hindu temple burned to the ground. It was a kind of an arson thing because they were confused with being Muslims. And um, they actually took the burnt idols and sunk them into Lake Ontario because I guess they had to do something with them, right? Um, And so it was really a freaky experience. And we only had really the president of the temple to lead us around. There was also a new priest from India, but he couldn't speak any English. So in that way, um, we couldn't learn anything from him. But I think the reason why it was so freaky was because, you know, we saw these idols and everything, and, but we didn't really meet any Hindu people because I think it's in the person that we can really connect, right? Because all people are made in the image of God, whatever they believe in. They're image bearers of God, and that's where we make the connection to people. Um, and just to contrast that with our visit to the Sikh temple, went to the Sikh temple. Now, there's two. There's one uh, in Stony Creek, and there's one on Old Guelph Road over here. And I'm noticing now they've been working on and building it, and you can actually see it. I just saw it the other day, kind of, it's white, and it was kind of gleaming in the sun. Um, And so they're over there on Old Guelph Road, and we went to that 
temple. Now, we thought that we would be fed because every Sikh temple, did you know every Sikh temple has food? It's called a langar. And that's because Sikhism is sort of a reform movement out of Hinduism where there is no caste. And to illustrate that there's no caste, they all eat together as part of their um, fellowship in the langar. So we thought, we had this group of people, we were going to go visit the Sikh temple, and we'll get supper. So then we went to the Sikh temple, we got there, and thankfully we had a pastor from Brampton who was a former Sikh. He now leads a church of former Sikhs and Hindus in Brampton. He was our guide. He was teaching us about Sikhism. And so thankfully he was there because when we got there, all of a sudden he went and started talking to the head person, and they were talking away, I think, in Urdu or Hindi, I'm not sure. Talking and talking, I'm going, oh dear, something's not right. And as it turned out, this is a small temple, or at least it was, and they don't always have the langar, so they don't always have food. But, of course, being so hospitable, they felt very bad, right? Oh, no, we have a group of people. I think we were like 25 people, and there's no food. So they said, well, go upstairs and take a look at our holy book, and um, we'll, do some, we'll do a little bit of singing for you and that kind of thing. And so we did that, and... and uh, Meanwhile, they were running out for Indian takeout food. And so when we went downstairs, there was uh, samosas and that kind of thing. Not only that, but they had called uh, a whole brigade of women to come in and start cooking for us. And so they were all in the kitchen making dal and different things and rice. And uh, it, we were there a long time, granted, but by the time uh, we left, we had been well-fed, and we had a lot of time to interact we learned about what they believe. They learned about what we believe as Christians. We had a dialogue. And it was very, I think, a very warm and fruitful time together. And again, different from the Hindu temples because we were dealing with people, right? That makes all the difference in the world because we were interacting human to human. And, and I just want to focus a little bit on that dialogue part right now because I really think in terms of my work with Resonate that we're moving more and more into this area of dialogue. Not dialogue in the sense that we're looking for some commonalities uh, that, that become compromising. That's not what I talk about when I think about dialogue. And I think we have to clarify this because there's a lot of confusion. Canada is becoming more and more pluralistic. And as, as communities of, of different religions, dialogue is going to become more and more important. But as we dialogue... And really, and this is really, I think, in a very Kyperian or maybe a Nubigan sense, we really have to both listen and be open to learning about the other, but very clearly communicating what we believe, that we put our trust in Jesus Christ as the one Savior for mankind, right, for humanity, that Jesus has paid for our sins, that we are a forgiven people, that, that, that the price of our sin was so great, but Jesus took that on him, Right? and paid that because God is a God of justice. And so Jesus paid for our sins. We are forgiven. So as we dialogue, we need to communicate clearly the gospel, but not in a way that, that proclaims it to the point, you know, kind of in that old colonial way that we know everything, so sit down and listen. You know, I think those days are gone. We need to be open. We need to listen, but we also have to communicate clearly what we believe and that, have that kind of robust dialogue. And I think it's also important because there can be much confusion. You know, in my last seven years of doing this particular work, focusing more on earlier on Muslims, now a wider, more diaspora focus, um, I've noticed that many religious traditions depend on merit. 
So Buddhists certainly do, Muslims certainly do. And you know when I talk about merit, I'm talking about how, you know, however you believe in God, you're trying to build up goodwill, right? Favor in God's eyes, we might say. And the way that many of those religious traditions do that is by good works. So when you encounter somebody from a different faith tradition, if you do something good for them, what are they going to think? They are going to think that you are a good person and that you are building up good works so that someday when you approach God, he will allow you to have eternal life. But that's problematic, isn't it? Actually, even some Christians believe this, right? Many people in Canadian society, if, if you ask them, how will you eventually get into heaven, what will they say? Oh, I'm a good person, right? So this is even a, sort of part of our Canadian culture, and even some Christians might believe this. But particularly Muslims, Buddhists, you know, it's very merit-based. And so it's really important that we express clearly that we do nothing out, of, out for merit, do we? In fact, this is one of the strengths of the Reformation and our Christian Reformed tradition, is that we do it out of gratitude. We do it out of gratitude because Jesus Christ has fully paid for all our sins so that no one can boast. And it's really important that we make this clear to people who come to Canada from other religious traditions, that when we help them, we do it because we come as a forgiven people. Our sins are fully paid. God has forgiven us, and so out of gratitude, we serve them and others in our world today. And so what a wonderful gift, right? What a wonderful gift. We cannot keep it to ourselves. It's a gift that needs to be shared. It needs to be shared. And even if Canadians are sometimes uncomfortable with this kind of thing, um, we can sensitively share this gift and share our faith and share our hope. I know we can do it with God's help. So that is our challenge and our opportunity. We live in interesting times. The world is changing. And as a church, we have to keep changing as well. One of the things that I'm really encouraging churches to do these days, this is a new initiative, is to find out a local mosque. I know the mosque that's closest to you. It's the downtown mosque. Find out the name of the imam. Pray for them. That might sound like a challenge, but pray for your local mosque, but pray in the name of Jesus. Pray that God will bless them, that they'll hear the good news, that they will be good neighbors. Pray for them. So to conclude... What did we learn this morning? Hospitality arises out of the very nature of God, Trinity, guest, and host, right? Perichoresis. But there are risks. I understand that. There's fears. But God is a powerful God who can do anything, and he is working in us through his Holy Spirit. He is leading us as his people. He is with us as we reach out, as we are both guest and host. So my prayer for you as we go into 2019 and the adventure of missions and ministry and hospitality, that God will be with you and bless you. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God of hospitality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, your people, to be a people who reach out in love to strangers, who welcome the marginalized, who help the other. In the name of Jesus, clearly proclaiming the hope we have and sharing that with love and kindness. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.